Blog Talk Radio. program on Blog Talk Radio. I am your host, Michael Gordon. Thanks for tuning into the show. Really interesting topic today about relationships. Today we're talking about It's a Thin Line Between Love and Hate. The song uh, made uh, famous by the Pretenders. Um, I'm trying to remember who that song was originally... Uh, recorded by anybody knows please let me know Uh, otherwise I will uh, look that up Uh, regardless today we're talking about uh, oh wait a minute here we go thank you Wikipedia Uh, The Persuaders yeah 1971 song it's a thin line between love and hate later covered by the band The Pretenders on 1984's uh, Learning to Crawl album fantastic record and that music you were hearing in the background is actually uh, my own personal music. Uh, I record and release music under uh, an artist's name, a pseudonym, which is Mike Gordon, M-Y-K. And uh, that was from my uh, most recent release, which is called Set Free. And that song was called Trouble. So if you're listening to the archive program, um appreciate you um listening in and enjoying the uh, previously recorded programs. And if you're listening live today, you can call in at area code 347-945-7891. That's 347-945-7891. And uh, we also have a chat forum. I see there's a couple of people logged in. You can ask questions on the chat forum as well. Let's jump right into the topic today. What, uh, What do I mean by the topic that it's a thin line between love and hate waging peace? I want to talk specifically about interpersonal relationships, and and these relationships could be uh, any relationship, whether it's a romantic, intimate relationship, or it could be uh, relationships with family members or children or employees or whatever it is. But where it's going to be most volatile and most prone to fireworks is is in our intimate relationships with a spouse. And so we've all experienced this. You know, something that was so idyllic and so affectionate and warm and friendly suddenly turns sour. And we find ourselves, um, you know, falling into um, disagreement and um, even going as far as, uh, you know, really falling out of love and feeling antagonistic towards our mate, which is the opposite of what we want to be feeling and what we started out feeling. So how does that happen so quickly? How can that turn on a dime? Well, anything that we do, and if you're familiar with this program, you know where I'm going with this, uh, is a reflection of what's going on within our own mind. And I'm going to approach this from several angles, this from a psychological point of view, um, in terms of ego boundary. And this is a theme that I explore quite often on the program. Ego boundary meaning that the the, the normal range of experience of yourself and where you exist 
in terms of your internal um, defined experiential bubble in the world and how you've internalized um, your interrelations with your caregivers, your parents, your friends, your social environment, and how that makes up what we call ego or your identity. And um, for a lot of people, that early childhood development and that uh, through those attachments with their primary caregivers, our parents, our teachers, um, can become disrupted. And what that does is it kind of wreaks havoc on this ego boundary because we start to um, second guess and adjust and, and, and morph ourselves for approval. And uh, what we think uh, the other people around us want be simply because our needs are not tended to. Now, coincidentally, this is interesting. I was just listening to a program about Asperger's. And Asperger's uh, syndrome is on the autistic uh, uh, spe- spectrum of autistic disorders. And it's really a communication disorder. And it's partly marked by the inability to read emotional cues, particularly visual and audio cu- auditory cues in other people. And so this is something pervasive across the autistic spectrum. And there's research now that's suggesting that not only are autistic children um, previously thought that they can handle um, the emotional um, feedback of other people, uh, but in fact, maybe they're overly empathetic. Maybe they're overly sensitized to other people's um, emotional displays or behaviors or cues. And so all of us are kind of prone to this on some level. And the more you necessarily have a, a physiological um, cognitive disorder or developmental disorder like an Asperger's or an autism, but we can become sort of have a mild personality disorder in the sense that we have a very distorted um, self-perception vis-a-vis other people and how we're being perceived and how we are um, being uh, approved or not approved of. And so, again, this can wreak havoc on our relationships because we internalize this very confused, uh, anxious, and very neurotic sense of relating to other people. Why is that such a big problem? Because we confuse our basic self-worth with um, our, the, the need to be approved by, by others, and this really complicates our relationships. And in uh, attachment and object relations theory, um, you, you know, this is referred to as enmeshment. And so you're enmeshed when you're an infant. Obviously, you're very dependent on uh, a parent um, and their immediate feedback to teach you how to feel and how to perceive and how to function. And then you socially develop through preschool, primary school. Um, and um, so if that, again, process is interrupted or distorted, we have um, attachment problems later in life as adults or disorders or relational disorders, uh, personality disorders, etc., all forms of neurosis where we don't know who we are and you know in relation to others and we're constantly morphing ourselves and we get into codependency issues, etc. And so that enmeshment really is the inability to see someone as other, to really see them as an autonomous, autonomous being from ourselves. And instead, we can relate to them in a very infantile kind of way that they are an extension of us. And why are they not understanding and feeling what we're feeling? So you can see how this becomes very problematic in relationships if it gets triggered suddenly. It's like a, it's like a, a tinderbox, you know, full of a um, very old-fashioned word, a tinderbox. It, it means literally means, you know, for kindling or for 
um, um, you know, gunpowder. It's like a flame to gunpowder or a spark to gunpowder. And suddenly this roaring up of this childlike infantile response um, that's very entitled and very um, indignant that the other person is not receiving uh, how we're feeling, that they should somehow intuitively know what we're feeling and, and be in concert with us, rather than having to be responsible for ourselves and communicate and, um, and want to know what's going on for the other person. So this is all very um, potent psychological uh, theory in helping us understand why that we can go from one minute um, adoring somebody else and have them the object of our affection and then suddenly they become the object of our um, derision and our uh, contempt. And, and as I described in the uh, program description today, uh, a saying from an, an old teacher of mine, which is that you know the, the, say, the saying is familiarity breeds contempt. Well, if we elaborate that saying, it, it becomes familiarity without respect breeds contempt. And by respect in that in that um, saying. We're talking about the the distance, the the separation. Um, now that's a, again a problematic word, spiritually speaking, a separation. But it's just a convenience to recognize that that, that is another spirit, that's another per- being, and they are not an extension of us, and we're not entitled to have them automatically know or not know what we're feeling and needing. And so it's just that space. It's probably a better word than separation. It's the space. Uh, the space between. And so why is that phrase so important in, just in, in addressing this topic that familiarity breeds, without respect, breeds contempt? Well, the familiarity, familiarity we're talking about is um, over becoming overly familiar, overly uh, attached, if you will, enmeshed with the other person. The, the, the lack of differentiation, as, it, as it's described when, when we're developing this young children, that we we come to know ourselves as a different entity uh, with different needs and uh, responses and uh, experience than somebody else and being able to understand them as being other than us. And uh, so this is where we really get into trouble in our interpersonal relationships. Now I'd like to uh, bring in a different angle on this, which is a, um, a quote from a book uh, by one of my favorite um, thinkers and and teachers uh, from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Um, uh, Chungpa Rinpoche was his name. Chungpa Chungpa Rinpoche, pardon me. Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche was was a very esteemed uh, Tibetan monk who came to North America and studied psychology at Oxford for a while and um, really introduced the, the Tibetan flavor of Buddhism in a very practical, pragmatic way. Um, in a secular way, to teach mindfulness meditation across North America and eventually the world um, through the organization he founded, which was called Shambhala. And uh, Chogyam Trumpa um, Rinpoche, Rinpoche meaning teacher, um, was um, – pardon me, I just got distracted there by turning off my email sound – Yes, so the Shambhala organization um, was his his secular form of teaching meditation across North America. I'm going to read an excerpt. It's quite a long excerpt. 
uh, from his book, The Myth of Freedom. But this really does get to explain through a hybrid of psycho psychology and, and, and Buddhist psychology um, the complicated aspect and the and the um, the really destructive aspect of how romantic love or or the projection onto someone else of our own needs um, and our and our controlling of another person can become so destructive. And if you're interested in, in uh, relationship dynamics, you should really look at the work of John Gottman. John Gottman is a psychologist from the U.S. who studied the dynamics of, of um, relationships, particularly conflict in relationships, and really identified some um, very um, discernible um, pitfalls and, and behavioral uh, manifestations, uh, including contempt, contemptuousness of another person. Um, as a result of these kind of projections. So here we go. Bear with me. I'm going to read through this. It's it's uh, fairly long. It's probably about 500 words, but uh, but you'll, you'll see the depth in it and, and appreciate where I'm coming from when I mean allowing space um, to to exist. And space here in the Buddhist sense is that space is the potential. It's the limitlessness of your mind and the expansiveness of of the 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 universe that your mind is is really not separate from the expansiveness of the universe and so when we contemplate that and we experience ourselves just as consciousness that it allows more room and allows some breathing space and then we can now relate to the world through meditation with the same dynamic of of allowing space and the space of another person so here we go this is from the myth of freedom by chogyam trumpa uh, and it goes like this. There is a vast store of energy which is not centered, which is not ego's energy at all. It is this energy which is the centered, centerless dance of phenomena, the universe interpenetrating and making love to itself. It has two characteristics, a fire quality of warmth and a tendency to flow in a particular pattern in the same way in which fire contains a spark as well as the air which directs the spark. So he's talking about passion and uh, context, passion, and, and, and ground. And this energy is always ongoing, whether or not it is seen through the confused filter of ego. It cannot be destroyed or interrupted at all. It is like the ever-burning sun. It consumes everything to the point where it allows no room for doubt or manipulation. But when this heat is filtered through ego, it becomes stagnant because we ignore the basic ground, refuse to see the vast space in which this energy occurs. He's talking about love here and passion and lust, then the energy cannot flow freely in the open space shared with the object of passion. Instead, it is solidified, narrowed, and directed by the central headquarters of ego to move outward in order to draw the object of passion into its territory. So he's talking about um, desire turning into objectification and control. This captive energy extends out to its object and then returns to be programmed again. We extend our tentacles and try to fix our relationship this attempt to cling to the situation makes the communication process superficial. We just touch another person's surface and get stuck there, never experiencing their whole being. We are blinded by our clinging. The object of passion, instead of being bathed in the intense warm warmth of free passion, feels oppressed by the stifling heat of neurotic passion. And he's talking there, harkening back to the attachment theory there, that the neurotic passion is the is what we would call anxious attachment. That um, you know you're anxiously um, or insecurely um, trying to negotiate uh, being bonded with another person. 
Free passion is radiation without a radiator, a fluid pervasive warmth that flows effortlessly. It is not destructive because it is a balanced state of being and highly intelligent. Self-consciousness inhibits this intelligent, balanced state of being. By opening, by dropping our self-conscious grasping, we see not only the surface of an object, but we see the whole way through. We appreciate not in terms of sensational qualities alone, but we see in terms of the whole qualities, which are pure gold. We are not overwhelmed by the exterior, but seeing the exterior simultaneously puts us through to the interior. So we reach the heart of the situation if this is a meeting of two people. The relationship is very inspiring because we do not see the other person purely in terms of physical attraction or habitual patterns. We see the inside as well as the outside. So he's talking about from that spaciousness, from that relaxed quality um, within ourselves that we can engage another person and see them in a whole way rather than just the way that we project onto them. This whole way through communication might produce a problem. Suppose you see right through someone and that person does not want you to see right through and becomes horrified with you and runs away. So now he's talking about intimacy issues and vulnerability. Then what do you do? You have made your communication completely and thoroughly. If that person runs away from you, that is his way or her way of communicating with you. You would not investigate further. If you did pursue and chase them, then sooner or later you would become a demon from that person's point of view. You see right through their body and they have this juicy fat and meat that you would like to eat up. So you seem like a vampire to them. And the more you try and pursue the other person, the more you fail. Perhaps you look through too sharply with your desire. Perhaps you were too penetrating, possessing keenful, beautiful keen eyes, penetrating passion and intelligence. You abused your talent, played with it. It is quite natural with people if they possess some particular power or gifted energy to abuse that quality, to misuse it by trying to penetrate every corner. Something quite obviously is lacking in such an approach, a sense of humor. If you try to push things too far, it means you do not feel the area properly. You only feel your relationship to the area. What is wrong is that you do not see all sides of the situation and therefore miss the humorous and ironical aspect. That's a really powerful um, passage there. And he's really talking about um, again, seeing someone through your own eyes, not as they are, not being lighthearted about it, not accepting them as they as they appear to you, but um, using your discerning vision to almost like X-ray vision to see too much detail on somebody, focus too much on the micro. I hope you're still with me here. Um, and I'm going to finish off the last couple of paragraphs. Sometimes people run away from you because they want to play a game with you. They do not want a straight, honest, and serious involvement with you. They want to play. But if they have a sense of humor and you do not, you become demonic. This is where Lalita, the dance, comes in. You dance with reality, dance with apparent phenomena. When you want something very badly, you do not extend your eye and hand automatically. You just admire Instead of impulsively making a move from your side, you allow a move from the other side, which is learning to dance with the situation. You do not have to create the whole situation. You just watch it, work with it, and learn to dance with it. So then it does not become your creation, but rather a mutual dance. No one is self-conscious because it is a mutual experience. I think that's pretty self-apparent, uh, what he's talking about there, that you, it's just about giving up control, letting go of that, that neurotic compulsion to control and make a situation what it is. And it's, it's very unconscious that we're doing that. When there is a fundamental openness in a relationship, being faithful in the sense of real trust happens automatically. It is a natural situation because the communication is so real and so beautiful and flowing, you cannot communicate in the same way with someone else. So automatically you are drawn together. 
But if any doubt presents itself, you begin to feel threatened by some abstract possibility, although your communication is going beautifully at the time, then you are sowing the seed of paranoia and regarding the communication purely as ego entertainment. So again, you stopped engaging with the other person as they are and letting a natural flow happen, and you're, you're coming back to filtering it through your own ego, taking it personally as it, as it was, as it wouldn't be. If you sow a seed of doubt, it may make you rigid and terrified, afraid of losing the communication which is so good and real. And at some stage, you will begin to be bewildered as to whether the communication is loving or aggressive. She's so talking about you know, doubt and too much uh, analysis unraveling a relationship. By the way, you're listening to The Mind Whisperer on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Michael Gordon, and uh, we're addressing the topic of uh, a thin line between love and hate when, when love turns to contempt in relationships. And I'm reading from a, a passage from the book The Myth of Freedom uh, by the great Tibetan teacher Chogyam Trimpa. This bewilderment brings a certain loss of distance. And in this way, neurosis begins. Once you lose the right perspective, the right distance in the communication process, then love becomes hate. This is really interesting because uh, as an Aikido teacher, you know, Aikido is a Japanese defensive art that's teaching you um, to take care of yourself, really. And by taking care of yourself, you can help manage the space with other people even ultimately someone trying to kill you and attack you. And we have a, 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 a principle called mai which means uh, harmonious distance. And you never want to collapse that distance. Uh, it's unsafe to let someone in that closely. You always want to maintain that respectful distance. It's like a dance. If you cling too closely, you can't dance with someone in a, in a, in a harmonious way. And that's what he's talking about here. The natural thing with hatred, just as with love, is that you want to make physical communication with the person. That is, you want to kill or injure them. In any relationship in which the ego is involved, a love relationship or any other, there is always a danger of turning against your partner. As long as there is the notion of threat or insecurity of any kind, then a love relationship could turn into its opposite. Let me read that last paragraph one more time because it's so powerful. The natural thing with hatred, just as with love, is that you want to make physical communication with the person. That is, you want to kill or injure them. So again, there's this instinct to control or to express rage as much as there is love. In any relationship in which the ego is involved, a love relationship or any other, there's always the danger of turning against your partner. As long as there's the notion of threat or insecurity of any kind, then a love relationship could turn into its opposite. Very powerful words. Um, it really beautifully encapsulates um, that that delicate balance uh, in a relationship, and it really is predicated on, again, what he describes as distance, proper distance, being able to maintain the container in which uh, free-flowing communication and respect can function, uh, rather than suffocating it, uh, rather than making the person into an object of your desire. Um, you you sort of rest in the space of engaging with the other person um, because they're not you. They're not uh, an object for you to toy with or destroy like a child. Well, look at the time. Um, We've really um, blasted through a a lot of information here, as we tend to do in the program. And um, I really encourage you to go and read that passage from that book. It's also a a very um, elucidating 
book that's, again, is sort of a beautiful hybrid of Buddhist and Western psychology. Um, you can get the flavor of his of his writing. Um, it is very sophisticated, but it does address very practical concerns. And um, in, in the town that you live, um, perhaps there is a Shambhala Center. It's a volunteer-run organization. Um, it is secular, meaning that it is non-religious. And, um, and you could find a, uh, a meditation class or just an open meditation group and practice basic, what we call shamatha, which is the uh, mindfulness, basic mindfulness meditation. You're basically learning to sit with yourself and um, make, make friends with your, with, your, with your mind. And um, that has a particularly um, peaceful orientation to it, a, a conflict-resolving aspect to it. Well, thank you very much again for tuning into the program. I am your host, Michael Gordon, and uh, you can find me on Facebook under the Mind Whisperer. Uh, we are available as a free downloadable podcast on iTunes under the Mind Whisperer. Uh, you can find it through Twitter, and uh, we really want to hear from you. Drop us a line on Facebook, send us a message, join the Facebook group, spread the word, send us your suggestions for programs or guests on the show or topics. Um, we're building the show more and more. We're very quickly approaching 5,000 listens. We really appreciate your support. Have a great day, and we'll see you Thursday this week on The Mind Whisperer. Just got a foolish heart